extols the greatness of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Sri Vishnu. It describes in this verse that one who remembers the beautiful form of the Lord, whose eyes resembles the lotus petals, such a person becomes purified from within and without. What does it mean to be purified? The soul is essentially pure, just as the sun in the sky is pure. And the rays of the sun are life-giving and beneficial for all living beings. But when the sun is obscured by a cloud, it cannot be perceived. Similarly, the beauty of the soul, which is part of God, cannot be appreciated as long as it is covered by the cloud of ignorance. Mamaivamso jiva loke jiva bhuta sanatana manasastan indriyani prakriti stani The spirit soul being part of Krishna have the qualities of Krishna, although infinitesimal. Krishna, Bhagavan, is infinite and the soul is infinitesimal. That means the quality of beauty. All the opulences of God, in fact, are reflected by the soul. But this cloud of ignorance keeps the pure transcendental qualities of the soul hidden. And what we see are the symptoms of ignorance. Lust, kama, anger, krodha, greed, lobha, envy, matsara, illusion, and pride. Now, the six enemies of the soul are very powerful because they are completely empowered by maya or the illusory energy. The fact is these six enemies are unconquerable. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna declares, Daivi he shuguna mai mama maya that this material energy and all of her agents are unconquerable, very difficult to overcome. Lust is the greatest enemy. In fact, Krishna tells Arjuna, in the third chapter of Gita, Arjuna asks, My dear Krishna, why is it that even a man who is seriously on the spiritual path 
is impelled as if by force to engage in sinful, unwanted activities. Sometimes with our logic, with our intelligence, with our reason, we know something is not right. And we know the consequences of engaging in certain activities. But yet there is a force within us that it impels us, that forces us to engage in abominable things. Arjuna said, what is that force? Because you know, when you're at war, you have to know who your enemy is before you can conquer your enemy. Just like if in a kingdom we find out that there is some spy amongst your ministers, you have to find out which one it is. Otherwise you will be defeated. So similarly, there are so many agents within our heart. Of those things within my heart, what is it? Who is it that is really the enemy? Who is it? What is it that is impelling me to engage in abominable activities? By force. And Krishna responds, Kama esha krodha esha rajoguna shamudbhava mahoshana mahapapma vidyenami habairanam it is kama, it is lust only, Arjuna, which is born of the contact of the material mode of passion, which is later transformed into wrath, which is the all-devouring sinful enemy of this world. Now what does lust mean? Kama. Some people have a very crude, harsh conception that lust means some erotic relationship with a woman illicitly. That is a very, very horribly gross idea of kama. But actually kama means any desire we have separate from God's. Huh? <laughs> Even the most pious people are victim of kama in the real sense. Even some of the most refined, sophisticated, and religious people are victims of kama in the true sense. Some of the most refined, sophisticated, and religious people are victims of kama in the true sense. Krishna says in Gita, Bhoktaram jagatapasam sarva lokamaheshwaram suhridam sarva bhutanam gyatvamam That everything belongs to me. All the planets and everything within all planets is my property. And you are my property. Every living thing is my property and everything is meant for my enjoyment. The misconception that anything is meant for my enjoyment. To see or use anything for any other purpose in the enjoyment of God is considered in Bhagavad Gita to be kama or lust, the all-devouring sinful enemy of the world. Now, how to conquer this all-devouring sinful enemy? Hmm. There is a method, and it is a sure, 100% method. Huh? And the Supreme Lord showed us the method in a wonderful way. What he did is he first sent to this world lust personified. Who knows who that personality was? 
Ravana. Huh? Ravana was the most striking emblem of lust in the history of all creation. He was so blatant and so straightforward in his position. Sita is the property of Ram. Sita is none other than Lakshmi Devi, the goddess of fortune. All the fortune of the world is the energy of Sita, the daughter of King Janak. What do we mean when we say goddess of fortune? What is fortune? Fortune does not simply mean money. Fortune means anything good. When you wish someone good fortune, it doesn't mean simply you wish him a lot of money. <laughs> fortune means good health. Fortune means popularity. Huh? Fortune means comforts in life. Fortune means good friendship, good family. Also means nice, nice income. Fortune means anything good within this world. That is good fortune. And to lose anything good is misfortune. So Lakshmi is the goddess of fortune. Anything that is good, anything that we like, is the energy of Lakshmi Devi. And in one sense, it is non-different than Lakshmi Devi. Now, as we know, Lakshmi Devi never, ever, ever leaves the feet of Narayan. Her eternal position is at his feet, massaging him. Huh? As a matter of fact, one name of Lakshmi is Sri, Sriji. And one name of Vishnu is Srivats. Why is he named Srivats? Because Lakshmi, in order to never, ever, ever be separated from Vishnu, she has appeared as a golden hair on his chest. In this form, she never leaves his heart. She is closest to his heart at all times. This is also the meaning of the name Srinivas that Vishnu always has Sri upon his heart. Srinathji. Vishnu is the Lord and the master of Lakshmi Devi. So Lakshmi never leaves Vishnu. So what happens when we take the fortune of this world and we try to separate it from Vishnu by using it for our own satisfaction? Lakshmi expands herself, same energy, same person, but she appears in her form of Durga. Durga in Sanskrit literally means prison. When you see Lakshmi, she has a lotus flower in her hand, which is a sign of auspiciousness, victory and success and beauty and opulence. In another hand, she's offering her blessings. Those who approach her by using her energy in the service of Vishnu, she appears before that person in this beautiful form. But those who take 
the property of Vishnu. Those who take her and try to use her to exploit her for their sense gratification. Understand all fortune in this world is Lakshmi. When we try to enjoy Lakshmi, instead of offering her to Vishnu where she belongs, then she appears as Durga. Durga does not carry lotus flowers. She carries swords and tridents and clubs. <laughs> this trident is her most formidable weapon. It has three prongs, which signify the threefold miseries of material existence, adhyatmaka, adhidaivaka, and adhibhautika. Miseries caused by one's own body and mind, such as mental distress, worrying, physical disease, old age. Miseries caused by other living beings. Sometimes people insult you. Sometimes people cheat you. Sometimes people exploit you. Sometimes even your loved ones just completely disappoint you. Huh? And Aididaivaka, which is miseries caused by natural disturbances, such as too much heat, too much cold, too much rain, too much wind, volcanoes, hurricanes, cyclones, tornadoes. Durga Devi is constantly keeping those persons who are under her control. That she keeps them in line with this trident, stabbing their hearts with the threefold miseries of material existence. So know that all fortunate things in this world are Lakshmi Devi. Now Lakshmi Devi appeared as goddess Sita. And everyone knows that Sita is exclusively meant for Ram. What is the definition of love? Love means to assist Sita in her affair with Ram. Is that not what Hanuman and Lakshman and Sugriva and all the residents of Ayodhya did? The residents of Ayodhya, their only desire was to see Sita and Ram happy. That was their only motivating force in life. They would die at any moment if it helped Sita and Ram enjoy together. They had no false ego. Their only desire was to simply see Sita and Ram together happy. And therefore, when they saw Sita and Ram together happy, that gave them the greatest, most ultimate bliss, ecstasy, and satisfaction in life. The residents of Ayodhya, their bliss, their happiness was incomprehensible by the material mind. But Ravana, he wanted to take Sita for himself. That is called karma or lust. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami describes that love is the natural inclination of the soul to want to give pleasure to God. But when that natural affection for God is misplaced in trying to enjoy the property of God for our own selfish interest, then that love is transformed into lust or kama. Prema and kama is the same energy. Uh -huh. Love and lust is the same energy. 
It is the same inclination within us. Prema is when that energy within us of affection is placed toward God. And when it is placed anywhere else, it is called kama or lust. So Ravana was very tricky. How he stole Sita. He disguised himself as a sadhu. He was a very great mystic yogi. Ravana had ten heads. And he was given benediction by Lord Shankar that if anyone chopped off his heads, they would grow right back. Huh? So he was a terrible, monstrous-looking creature, my God. Of course, he thought himself very handsome. But for any distinguished person, he was horrible. How is it that he completely changed his form in every respect? Well, he only had one head, huh? And he looked like a very, very gentle, peaceful saint. Huh? It is because he had mystic power. He had tremendous mystic power. He could perform incredible miracles. He was a great yogi. Of course, in today's society, if someone could perform some little miracle, they are considered God. Huh? Sometimes somebody tells me that my guru is God. Of course, in the scripture, it explains who God is and when he appears in this world. One time I was riding in a bus from Kurukshetra to Rishikesh. And I was sitting next to this man. And when you're dressed like this, naturally anyone who has any philosophical inclinations wants to tell you what they know. Huh? You become a very, very good target for anybody who has any religious information that they want to tell someone. So this person said to me that my guru, he is God. Huh? And I just looked at him and said, Hare Krishna. So then my friend who was with me, he started arguing with this person like anything. Your guru is not God. How can he be God? And they started getting in a very fierce argument. And by this time, this person hated us because we were offending his guru. I was just looking out the window, trying to see the nice trees and the Himalayas and everything else. And then my friend said, I'm finished talking to this person. He thinks his guru is God. Now, you tell my friend here, and he'll tell you who your guru really is. And then I looked and I said, thank you very much. Then my guru is God. I said, ah, your guru is God. I'm not saying he isn't God, but you have to prove to me that he's God. You can't expect me to just believe anybody's God just because you say, what is the evidence? The first thing he did, he says, my guru could perform miracles. I said, oh, is that the sign of God? What miracles can he perform? And he told me how he could create things, make watches and make all different varieties of things and how he could change his form. I said, ah, sounds like Ravana. <laughs> he could do all these things too. Was Ravana God? Huh? Ravana made his whole city into gold. That was a mystic power. You think anyone could just make their whole city into gold? Ravana was a ten-headed monster. and He could look like a very nice, saintly sadhu. 
And Marichi, one of his other demons, he was also a Rakshasha monster. And he could change his form into a beautiful, playful deer. And we read in the story of Hiranyaksha fighting with Lord Varaha, not only did, when, during that battle, not only did Hiranyaksha create a watch or a, another little gift, my God, all of a sudden he made mountains fall from the sky and hundreds and thousands of, of millions of lions and tigers and snakes just showering from the clouds. And tidal waves started coming at Lord Varaha. Ah. He created all this. Hiranyaksha God? Ravana God? They're demons! Even a demon, an asura, an enemy of God, through the mystic yoga process, could perform miracles. The sign of God. So then he began to explain, but everyone accepts him as God. What do you mean everyone accepts him as God? I haven't accepted him, not everyone accepted him. I'm not saying he's not, but you just prove to me. If you can prove to me, I will worship him and abandon all varieties of religion and surrender. <laughs> but you have to convince me. I'm, you know, I'm born in the West, and you know, in the West we don't accept things so easy. And he said, well, how do you know who is God? I said, oh, you're asking me. I said, the criterion is what the scriptures say. The scriptures tell us when God appears, how he appears, and why he appears. Huh? And without the, the criterion of the scripture, anyone can claim they're God, and how do we know? Therefore, God tells us when and how he appears. And it's explained that in Kali Yuga, God appears three times. Huh? Only three times. There may be many great gurus and may prophets who are representatives of God, but God himself, Bhagavan, only appears in Kali Yuga three times. When Krishna left this world, Kali Yuga began. He appeared in Dwarpa Yuga. His next incarnation is Lord Buddha. Keshavadrita Bhuda Sarira Jaya Jagadisha Hari. Keshavadrita Bhuda Sarira Jaya Jagadisha Hari Jaya Jagadisha Hari Jaya Jagadisha Hari And it describes that Lord Buddha appears in the Magda province. It describes his father's name. Father's name is Vishnu Jyoti. And it describes what his mission is to stop unnecessary animal slaughter and to establish the principle of ahimsa. Is your guru Lord Buddha? No, no, not Lord Buddha, obviously. Lord Buddha appeared 2,500 years ago. All right. He said, my guru must be the next one. Krishnavarnam tvasakrishnam sangopanglashaparashnam jagyai sankirtana prayayajanti hishumedish. It describes the next form of God. He appears in a beautiful golden complexion. And he's constantly with his arms raised chanting the holy names and dancing in kirtan. And that was Lord Chaitanya. He appeared 500 years ago. He said, well, that's not the one either. My Buddha doesn't look like that either. He said, he must be the next one. I said, the next one is Kalki Avatar. 
He said, that's it. My guru is called Kiyavatar. Ah, he is. Kalki Avatar comes on a white horse and with a sword he cuts off the heads of the demons and he appears at the end of Kali Yuga which happens to be 427,000 years from today. He said, well, that's not my guru. So then he said to me, you know, maybe my guru isn't God. And then he asked me, who is God? What is God? And we began to explain the real qualities of God. Parasaramuni, the great father of Yasudev, describes in the Shastra that Bhagavan, the Supreme Lord, is he who possesses all opulences and full. Aishwaryasya samagrasya yasasana that he is the possessor of all wealth, all knowledge, all beauty, all fame, all strength, and all renunciation. That is Bhagavan. And a real guru is not one who claims to be God, but who claims to be the humble servant, the instrument in the hands of God to deliver the mercy of God. So Ravana, he was worshipped in Lanka as God. And he had many, many mystic powers beyond anybody today. He didn't claim only to be God, he claimed to be better than God. Huh? When Suparnaka, his sister, told him about the beauty of Sita, he decided, I'm going to get her for myself. I am the supreme enjoyer. No one has a right to enjoy a beautiful woman like that except me. And Vibhishan and other advisors said, no, 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 please, Ravana. She's Ram's wife. Ram is very powerful. He's God. He's Bhagavan. Ravana said, I am Bhagavan. Ram is nothing. I will destroy him. Everything is meant for my enjoyment. Huh? And therefore he disguised himself and he stole away Sita. We brought her to Sri Lanka. And of course, we read in the Ramayana by Valmiki Muni of how Lord Ram and his brother Lakshman, looking for goddess Janaki, he made alliances with Sugriva and Hanumanji. And together with the great army of monkeys, they attacked the island of Sri Lanka. And there was a great war. And Ravana was so powerful that no one could defeat him. His son Indrajit was formidable in battle. He even conquered Indra himself. Between Ravana, Indrajit, Kumbhakarna, and the other Rakshashas in his army, even the demigods in the heavens were absolutely stripped of their pride and were living in constant fear. They were utterly unconquerable by any human, by any jivatma. Ravana was the symbol of Kama. And know whatever desire you have to enjoy separate from God in your heart is due to the presence of Ravana living there. Huh? When Indra 
understood his helpless position before the power of Ravana. Indra, with all the other devatas and all the other sadhus, they approached the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Ram, and said, please, only you can save us. Only you can help us. You are our only shelter. And Ram descended on this world. And how this great battle with Ravana took place. Lord Sri Ramchandra with his mighty bows, he wanted to show the world how powerful Ravana really was, how powerful lust really is. Every time he cut off the heads of Ravana, another one grew. Doesn't that sound like our own material desires? <laughs> every time you try to give up something, every time you do some jagya, you some sacrifice, some puja, and you give up one material sinful desire, immediately another head grows. And you think, oh my God. Huh? Then you perform so much penance and atonement, and you practice yoga, and you take vows to give up this lusty propensity in your heart, and so finally you conquer it, you give it up, and then another head grows. For those on the spiritual path who are trying to give up material attachments, they know that as soon as you cut down one head, ten more grow. Huh? It's an endless way. It's an endless battle. Ravana wanted to show us all the nature of lust. That's how he was playing with Ravana in this way, by cutting off his head. First they'd be cut, then they'd grow. Finally, Ram, he understood that I must shoot my specialist most arrow in his heart. And when he cracked his heart, pierced his heart, Ravana fell to the ground. Now Ram is the only one that has that arrow. That arrow cannot be obtained by any mortal, by any jiva, by any living entity. It is the exclusive power of Ram. That is why Lord Sri Krishna says in Gita, Daivi ye shuguna mai mama maya duratyaya mam evam ye prapadyate maya meta tarantitam. That this material energy, this maya, this kama is very, very difficult to overcome. But one who surrenders to me, I take the war in my own hands. I will conquer that lust. I will conquer Ravana within your heart. For me, it is no difficulty. And that is why Krishna says, Bahunam janmanam ante jnanavam mampapadyate vasudeva sarvamiti samahatma sudurlava. After many births and deaths of practicing the various religious systems of the world and the different processes of yoga, when one finally comes to the point of knowledge, he surrenders to Vasudev, surrenders to Krishna, surrenders to Ram, knowing him to be the cause of all causes and all that is. When you surrender to the Lord, you put your life in his hands, under his protection, and he is almighty. And that is the difference between bhakti and the other yoga systems. The other yoga systems, by meditation, by pranayam, by yoga asanas, by the discriminatory power of jnana or knowledge, we are trying to conquer Ravana within our own heart. 
even Vishwamitra Muni. Huh? He was the greatest of all yogis. How great he was. He lived in Gomukh, the source of the Ganges. And in the winter, when it's just so covered with snow, we went there in the summer to bathe. Huh? Have you ever? How many have been to Gomukh, the source of Ganga? Last year, a group of us went. In the month of July, hottest month of the year. Huh? That place it is the hottest month. In May, it's still snow. And we went to take bath, and my God, it's so cold. Huh? Most of my friends, they went in, and it's not that they came out. The coldness pushed them out. Huh? Literally, like a launching pad. They went in, and immediately after going underwater, they just went, and they just like <laughs> flew out back onto the rocks, and they thought, huh? So I was thinking, ha, huh, I'm going to chant my Gayatri Mantra in Ganga. Vishwamitra Muni would stay in Ganga for six months without being disturbed. Not Vishwamitra Muni, but at least I could chant Gayatri Mantra. So I went in, and I will tell you, I'm not Vishwamitra Muni. It was the absolutely fastest Gayatri Mantra I've ever chanted in my life. <laughs> I never knew I could utter Sanskrit syllables so fast. <laughs> the cold empowered me to just... <laughs> and as soon as the Gayatri Mantra was done, <laughs> I flew out. Very cold. Vishwamitra Muni is a very great yogi. For six months a year, he'd be up to his neck in the Ganges, in the peaks of the Himalayas. And through this process, he was trying to conquer Kama. Huh? And everyone was thinking, my God, of all yogis, he has actually successfully conquered Kama altogether. His senses were like stone. They were unfazed by anything. So much so that Indra was feeling that, my God, this man is so powerful. He may conquer my heavenly kingdom. So he sent down the beautiful Apsara Menaka. And while Vishwamitra was sitting in his samadhi, she came and she tinkled her bangles like this. And then she tinkled her ankle bells. And when he heard this, he was thinking, ah, so pleasing is this sound. What is it? And he opened his eyes and he saw the beautiful woman. And when he saw her beauty, what happened? Ah, from within his head, one of those ten hands went, <laughs> Again, the head of lust appeared. Oh. And he fell from his yogic position. You see, by any yogic process, by our own endeavor, it is impossible for any length of time to conquer Ravana within our heart. But, Krishna says, through the process of bhakti, one can understand me as I am. 
This is what it means. Abandon all other yoga processes, abandon all varieties of religion, and just surrender to me. I will protect you. I will take care of you. I will destroy the demons in your heart with my arrow. When we surrender to the Lord, Ram appears within our heart. I began this lecture this evening by chanting this beautiful prayer from the Garuda Purana. Om Pavitra Pavitro Vasarvavastam Gatobiva Yasmarit Pundarika Aksham Sabhyavyantarastuji. This is what it means. That when we remember Krishna, when we remember Lord Sri Ramchandraji, he is non different than that remembrance. The process of bhakti is manmana bhavamad bhakto madhya to always remember the Lord, to become his devotee, to worship him, and to offer your homage unto him. Through this process, Ram appears within our heart. And with his mighty arrows, he shoots right into the heart of Ravana. And all his heads and everything else falls and disappears from our life eternally. So on the 10th of this month, we are celebrating Dasera, sometimes called Ram Vijayotsava. It is the day when we celebrate the grand victory of Lord Ramchandra over the mighty demon Asura Ravana. And of course, this is a factual historical event that took place in Sri Lanka during the Treta Yuga. But know that it is also a Leela that can take place within your own heart when you take shelter of Lord Sri Ramchandra. And therefore, on this day, and in preparation for this day, we should truly meditate on what this Leela means to us. What it means to our life. The symbol of Kama, Ravana, who is dwelling in the heart of all conditioned souls and is the sinful, deadly enemy of every living being, can only be defeated as exhibited on this most holy day of Dasera by the mighty glory of Ram. By remembering Ram, he appears in our heart. By remembering him, he kills all the demons within our heart. Therefore, Lord Kapila Dev explained that of all the scriptures throughout the world, there are so many instructions, so many vows, so many rituals, so many pujas, so much philosophy. But it's all meant to bring us to simply one conclusion, to always remember Krishna and never forget Krishna. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has said, Krishna Surya Sam Maya Haya Andhakar Yahan Krishna Tahan Mai Maya Radhika. Krishna is like the sun and Maya ignorance with all of her consorts, which are these enemies and these demons, they are like darkness. In the presence of the sun, darkness cannot exist. When we remember God with devotion in our hearts, all the bad qualities, all illusions, all ignorance is dispelled. And that is why it is said in Ramayana, it is said in Bhagavatam, it is said in all the great scriptures which teach the highest platform of love. Right. 
that in this age of Kali Yuga, there is no more glorious process. There is no greater benediction than the chanting of the name. 